Hey, let's pray and we'll get going. I'm excited to, I'm excited to talk tonight. I, I've, I've chosen an extremely different angle than I've ever gone with, uh, with this series, and so I'm excited to keep talking about it. Let's, uh, let's, hold, let's hold our Bibles up. Maybe you have scripture on your paper. Maybe you read the Bible on the phone. Somebody, I heard them say, you got e-version and tree version. This is tree version. <laughs> this is tree version. Get it? Because you make it out of it. Never mind. I get it. Say this with me. You know, you don't have to hold that up. I don't know why we hold. It doesn't even make sense to me that we would hold this up and then we would pray a prayer about Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. That's why. Now I get it now. You don't have to hold that up. Let's just pray it this way. I don't even know why I did that. I got it because I think about it. All right, you can hold it up. I don't care. Say this with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into death. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. And right now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. God's holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If anybody ever asks, if, you, if uh, those of you that, that um, about once a month, I try to tell you why we say this prayer. If anybody ever asks you, hey, what do y'all even believe over there at that church? Just say those words. That's what we believe. Uh, the second thing is, this is a, uh, y'all focus with me. This is a prayer that's been prayed now for about 1,700 years. Right about 1,700 years, just like we pray it. But different languages, of course. But just like that. There's no difference. 1,700 years by billions of people on the planet. And so by praying that is a reminder to us that we're not just in this room alone serving Jesus, but we're in this world, we're in this universe with billions of people who proclaim the name of Jesus, and they have been doing it for over 1,700 years in this way. And you're a part of the community and the body of Christ. And it's not just the body of Christ alive today, it's the body of Christ eternal. The body of Christ that began the minute that Jesus stepped on the earth and will never end. So that's why we pray that prayer. It's a powerful prayer. We believe that the way that we pray shapes us and forms us into who we are. So I want to um, want to continue tonight. I told you I kind of picked a different angle this year for, um, I want to just go a different angle with relationships. So tonight, I want to pick up where I left off. For those of you that are here, most of you were here last week. For those of you that were not here last week, um, we're just picking up where we left off. The big deal last week was this, that commitment is overrated. Anybody can stand at an altar and make a commitment, but what will ensure your marriage one day to be successful is not your commitment, but what will ensure its successfulness is your preparation. And so we're going to talk about preparation tonight. When Tiffany and I found out that we were going to have a little baby girl 
and we had uh, already picked out. What was funny is we all we already had a girl name, and we didn't have a boy name. It's almost like we willed her. We wanted to have a little baby girl. Um, Tiffany especially really wanted a baby girl, and so we began to prepare for her arrival. We bought this book. It was called "What to Expect When You're Expecting," and what was cool about it was this is what one day. Most of you in this room will probably um, have a kid. Um, some of you will deliver the kid. Some of you will um, do the other job. So, so, so what's going to happen is, is you're going to have a kid on the way. And what's cool about this book is there's been so much science over the last 100 years. Hey, y'all focus with me. There's been so much science over the last 100 years. Um, we really already know, for the most part, how babies develop at every week of their life, uh, pre, right after conception, all the way up to birth. We know how they're developing. And so Tiffany and I would read that book, and we would see, okay, she's here, and she's here, and she's here. And actually, we were saying uh, it's. We, we, we called her it's for a little while because we didn't know what gender she was. And then we found out that she was going to be a girl. It was going to be a little girl. And so, but we would see these different parts as we would look through the book. And we'd say, okay, she's, right now, she's the size She's the size of a thimble. You're like, oh my God, there's a little thimble inside you. She's growing, it's growing. And then we say, and then you get to this part of it, like she's growing her, she's growing legs. She was like a little tadpole, and now she's actually growing some legs. And now she's got some arms, and then she's got a face, and her face looks like an alien, but it's just now beginning to form. And then her nose. And we would watch as each part of And while all of that was happening internally, we were preparing externally. We bought a house. Just to have Addison in, we wanted to bring her to our home. We, brought a, we bought a house, and we had a room. In the room, we decided we were going to paint it um, yellow. We wanted it to be yellow. I don't know why, but we decided we wanted to paint it yellow. Tiffany really loved the color yellow. Um, and so we painted it yellow. And then we bought a baby crib where we would bring her to the baby crib. And then we bought a car seat. We were just we're getting all of these things in order. We began to, Tiffany bought a little baby book where she would write down, okay, I'm six months along and I started feeling her kicking. Or I'm four months along and we just found out we're having a little girl. And she would write different things. But we were preparing the whole time. We were putting our house in order. We would clean a bunch. I remember Tiffany was, she was, God, Tiffany was very thin and was always cold all of the time. But something changed in her when, when like another human got inside of her belly. She became just hot all of the time. Well, those of you that know me, I'm cold all of the time too. So Tiffany would crank our air conditioner down all the way as much as she could possibly get it. Just crank it way down. So I'd walk around the house in like a toboggan and sweatpants. And I mean, I, I just was freezing all of the time. I'd put on gloves and I was, just, I was just freezing. And she would just be laying there in the bed just like this, just all sprawled out. And then she got real, her stomach got real tight. And so um, she would, you know, in the wintertime, you get real tight or, or, you're, or you, um, you start itching real bad because it just gets, you gets dry or whatever. Well, that's what started happening to her. And so she would coat our bed in baby powder because she was so, now we, we tried a few different things. We tried lotion and it wouldn't last long enough or she didn't like the lotion. So then we tried lotion and baby powder in case you're wondering what that does. That makes glue. So she just turned into a big old glue ball. And then we, and then she started coating the, she would coat the, the, the bed in baby powder. And I had to stop sleeping in the bed because I kept waking up choking to death. I would just, and I just could, I, I remember waking up one night, and I couldn't catch my breath at all. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to die. I have a baby on the way. I don't have insurance. Like, you know, I just, what, what am I going to do? But we were, so we were preparing for Addison to arrive. 
Internally, we were watching what was going on here. Externally, we were watching um, what we were getting all of our house in order with the car seat and the baby crib, and we got a little rocker. We bought a bunch of diapers. People threw us a shower. A shower for, for a few of you young men who don't know, um, a shower is when um, they, uh, you're going to have a baby or you're going to get married or something like that, and, and your friends give you a party and they give you gifts. And so they bought us all kinds of little baby clothes, all these little baby, just so funny. You were like, oh, my God, the tiniest clothes. You are like, a human is going to fit in this one day. There's going to be a little baby, and she's going to fit in this little bitty, it's like a cabbage patch outfit. <laughs> and so we were preparing. And then she arrived. And I will tell you, I think we were ready. For the most part, we were ready. And so... When there are important things that are going to happen to you in life, it is important that you prepare. No one is surprised that we prepared for a baby. But what, it, what I think I'm surprised the older that I get is how unprepared we are when we get married. I, I officiate weddings every single year. I've probably stood in front of 50 couples and led them through their vows and had them say I do to one another. I've stood, I've probably done about 50 weddings and I plan on doing a bunch more. In fact, I plan on doing a bunch of yours. But it, it, it surprises me of how unprepared we are for the most important decision that we're, the most important earthly decision that we're ever going to make. We don't put any thought into it other than I think this is the right person. And to reiterate what I said last week, stop looking for the right person and become the right person. So when do you start preparing? Yesterday. You're already preparing. You're preparing right now to make the most important decision on the earth that you will ever make. And my question is, is are you being intentional? Are you making an intentional, smart, a wise decision? Or are you just going with the flow and who you become is who you become? The decisions that you make today shape the person that you will be and the person that you will be shapes the marriage that you will have. And it's important to me. It's so important to me. The worse the world gets at relationships, the more pressure that I feel to do my very best to prepare you to be the husbands and the wives that you're going to be. Because I'll tell you, the key to being a, everybody wants to be a good dad or a good mom. The key to being a good dad and a good mom, if you're a young man, let me tell you the key. You will be an unbelievably, an unbelievably great father if you are a great husband. It's that simple. If you'll be a great husband, you will automatically be a good father. That's how simple it is. L young women... Young ladies in this room, you want to be a great mom? It's very simple. If you will become a great wife, it automatically happens. So this decision, as you can tell, is extremely important for the rest of your life. I told you guys this, that, that most of you in this room are going to live for another 100 years. Most of you in this room will live for another 100 years. The life expectancy of your generation, this generation right here, if you're in middle school or high school, the life expectancy for you is 120 years old. That's how old you're going to get to be. Medicine and technology over the next 100 years are going to advance at an alarming rate. Over the last 100 years, we've had more advancement in technology than the rest of the history of the world combined. And so this next 100 years, 
we'll see all kinds of advancements. You guys are going to see cancer. It's going to be gone. It'll be eradicated. AIDS will be gone. Diabetes will be gone. All of these diseases, heart disease, will be gone. You'll see, that you'll see a cure for all of them. You will see the cure. And we can get smarter and smarter in our technology and still be unprepared to be the young man, the young woman, the husband and the wife that we want to be. And so tonight, I just want to give you three quick thoughts. I could give you a hundred, but I wrote down the three thoughts that come to mind the most to prepare you. Say, well, Pastor Jimmy, then how do I prepare? Well, you're already preparing. So then the question is, is how do I prepare well? That's terrible, but we're going to deal with it, right? <clears throat> so three, so I want to give you, I want to give you three, I want to give you three thoughts so the first one is this, point number one. So how, how, do I, how do I prepare well? The first one is this. We have to identify the cultural incongruencies. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to explain it. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. <clears throat> I love this message version. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. This is what Paul is saying. Stop being like the culture around you. We have way too many unprepared people and the culture is, is unpreparing us for marriage. And so what you've got to do is you've got to become cultural. You've got to understand the culture. You've got to understand the culture. God, that's terrible, isn't it? We got like a helicopter and then we got like a siren. What? Where's the milk? Okay. <laughs> Thank you for losing your bet. All right. So this is what we got. <clears throat> I want to give you a couple things. Identify the cultural incongruency. So what, what that means is there are things that Jesus says, and then there are things that the culture teaches. The culture shapes us. What are some of those? Let me tell you something that Jesus says that is so anti-culture. The first thing that Jesus, one of the things that Jesus would say to us is Jesus says, love your enemies. Look, anybody can love their friends. Everybody, it's easy to love our friends. Jesus says, love your enemies. Now think about all of the ways that your culture tells you to not love your enemies. It tells you to be evil to them, to get back at them, to vindicate yourself, to take revenge on your enemies. Think of all of the ways. Think of some of your conversations this very day of how you talked badly about someone. Many of you in this room talked badly about someone and you did not love someone that you were an enemy with. And Jesus says, love your enemies. Another thing he says is you can't serve both God and money. You can't do both. Think about what our culture is consistently telling us over and over and over again. That the most successful life is the life filled with wealth. That's what it's always telling us. And what Jesus says is, look, you can serve God or you can serve money. Another thing that Jesus says is this, judge not unless you want to be judged yourself. Now, now I, want to, I want to clarify what this means because we don't, I don't think that we, um, we don't understand this verse very well. 
It doesn't mean don't judge another person's character so that you can make decisions about your behavior, whether or not you should be with them or not be with them. It, it, it doesn't mean that at all. That's not even close to what that means. In fact, Jesus wants us to judge other people's character and to make decisions about how close we will be with that person. What Jesus is saying here is very different. What Jesus is saying is, don't close the book on someone. God's still at work. Don't think that somebody's too far gone. Don't think that somebody's already done too much. Don't think that just because someone is this way that they're going to be that way forever. Jesus says, give everybody a second chance. And that's what he's saying. Don't, don't close the book on somebody and say, tough luck, they're never going to change unless that's what you want God to do to you. That's what Jesus says. And think of how often we just write somebody off. They make a stupid decision. They say something dumb. They, put, they, they, they subtweet us. They do whatever. And you say, forget it. I can't, be so, I can't be friends with that. You guys have said this before. You've said something like this. Hurt me once. Shame on you. Hurt me twice. Shame on me. Right? That's not Jesus. That's not anything Jesus would say at all. In fact, Jesus was beaten to death. And as he was dying on the cross because of his because of, the, um, because of the pain that was afflicted to him in his beating, he was forgiving humanity. Father, forgive them. He was praying for you and for me. Another thing Jesus says is, whoever looks at another person with lust has already committed adultery. I'm going to tell you that our culture has put you in an extremely difficult place when it comes to your thought life. You guys have more technology, opportunity, availability, anonymity that you can do anything you want in private and think that, it, you're, that it's not affecting you. You can look at what you want. You can think about what you want and you think that it has no bearing on your soul. And I want to tell you this, the way that you think about another person shapes who you become. If you lust your entire life and you get married, that day doesn't end lust. You've already shaped your life. You've got a lot of work to do now. And so what Jesus tells us is this. Learn to place value and dignity on another person. Young men, I'm telling you, I, you're going to hear me say it until, you're, until you leave me. The onus is certainly on all of us, but I believe it's more on you. The exploiters of history have primarily been men. And we need young men to stand up and say, I want to reverse the curse. I don't want to be the exploiter anymore. I don't want to be the manipulator. I don't want to be the one that takes advantage. I don't want to be the one that lords over with power and with lust, with greed. and with. I want to be the one who protects. We need more young men that are protectors. Guys, instead of passing a, a, a rumor around, protect a young lady. Instead of passing a picture around, end it. What are we doing? Protect. Young ladies. You got your work too. Do you know that, I just saw this stat the other day, that pornography, surprise, is on the rise. And it is growing 
it's all, it, young men have, have, have had issues with it as long as I can remember. It's on the rise with young ladies. And it is, um, it is fastly infiltrating every young person's thought life there is. All of us. Young ladies, we got work to do. If you lust after someone in your heart, you've already committed adultery. I just want you to know that you are shaping your soul. And so what are we going to do to be different than what culture is doing? Some of you have got to get rid of your cell phones. I know you're like, what? I don't even know. Some of you have got to get rid of them. You, can't, you just got to get rid of them. All of you that have issues have got to talk to somebody. You have to. You cannot manage this. You have to come clean and you got to talk to somebody. There is no, listen to what I'm saying. I've never met a young man or a young woman in my life that had a problem that didn't come clean and heal. That's the only way to do it. I, I should, let me say it a different way. I've never met a young man or a young woman in my life that tried to not come clean and was able to heal. You have to come clean. There's the only way to do it. So what we've got to do is we've got to begin to be these, we've got to, we've got to be um, culture, we've got to understand what our culture is trying to shape our soul into and do the opposite. What does Jesus want my soul to look like and what does culture want my soul to look like? The second thing is this. So the question then is how, 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 do, I, how do I prepare? How do I become? How do I how do I make choices in my life to, be, to have my soul shaped so that I will be ready when the time is ready? The second thing is you, you need a mentor. You need someone that you look, and listen to me when I say this. There is no, there, you, don't need a, you don't need a peer mentor. You need a, a mentor that's older than you, that's been through some stuff, that can talk to you. Now, here's something that's kind of cool about mentors. You don't have to know all of your mentors. You don't have to know them all. The, my two greatest heroes in life, one of them died last year, and the other one died two years before that. They were authors that I have read for about 20 years now, and I try to read as much as I can get my hands on. One of my favorite authors, his name is Brennan Manning. Brennan Manning said this in one of his books, my favorite book by him. He had a little book, it's called The Ragamuffin Gospel. It sat on my shelf for several years because I thought it was such a dumb name that I thought there's no way this could be a good book. So it sat on my shelf for years. And one day, just like the Holy Spirit led me to it. And I remember reading it and just going, where has this been all of my life? But he taught me about grace. This is what he said. A little child cannot do a bad coloring, nor can a child of God do a bad prayer. You know what Brendan Manning taught me? He taught me that God doesn't speak English. That God speaks heart. That what I pray doesn't matter what my words are. It matters what my heart is saying. Brennan Manning mentored me in prayer. He mentored me in grace. His whole life was about the, un, the, the undying, unceasing, unquenching love of God. And how it is impossible for you to ever do anything that causes God to love you less. That's what Brennan Manning taught me. There was a time in my life that I was, man, I just, felt, I just felt bad all of the time, like I was constantly letting God down, like he was frustrated with me, like he would look at me and go, Jeremy, again? 
And what Brendan Manning taught me was this, that God looks at me with pleasure and there is nothing I can do that can change that. I have, there's, nothing I can, there's nothing I can say. You know, I'm a, I'm a dad. I have three kids. And I, I am pleased with my children. I love them. You guys have heard me say this before. I don't tell my kids I'm proud of you for something they did. I, I try to never tell my kids. Say, Dad, did you think I did a good job today in softball? I'd never say, yes, I'm so proud of you for that hit. I try to never say that because I'm trying to shape their souls to understand that my pride has nothing to do with their behavior. It has everything to do with their identity. And they're my, I have two daughters. You're my daughter. I'm proud of you. So I tell my kids this all the time. I'm so proud to be your dad. That's what I'm proud of because I learned from Brendan Manning that that's the way that God views me, that he's proud to be my father. He doesn't have pleasure he doesn't have more pleasure in me because I act right. He's pleased with me because I'm his kid. So he's my mentor. I have another mentor. His name's Eugene Peterson. I cried last year when he died. He died back in October. He's my hero. He's the, he is the, he is, he's my hero in pastoring. If you want to know how to be a good pastor, some of you in this room are going to be pastors one day. Some of you young ladies, you, are, you, have, you have come to faith at a beautiful time in human history. We're about to see an onslaught of young ladies become pastors and it is gonna be unbelievably beautiful because for literally four, five, six thousand years, we've gotten an onslaught of what dudes think about God and it's finally time. And we screw up God all of the time. We get God wrong all of the time. We think that God tells us to go to war and we think that God tells us to have slaves and we think that God tells us... That's, that, that's a lousy version of God. It's time that we had some females tell us who God is to help, to help shit. Oh, I like that. No, I really, am, I really do feel strongly about that. I think we have a very one-sided understanding of God, and it's because it's been set by one gender. And it's time that the other gender gave us a little more balance. So... Some of you are going to be pastors in here. Some of you young ladies are going to be pastors. Some of you young men are going to be pastors. You're going to be so good. You are going to love, you're going to love people well. And I just want to tell you, my mentor, who I look to when I think about what a good pastor is, his name is Eugene Peterson. And he talks to me about pastoring. In fact, his autobiography is called The Pastor. Hundreds of thousands of pastors have looked to him to ask him, tell me how to be a good pastor. Tell me how to keep my priorities in order. Tell me how to understand scripture. Tell me how to pray. Tell me how to, to direct people spiritually. Tell me how to counsel. He's written for, for literally 40 years about this stuff. Tell me how to understand the Bible. I want to understand the Bible well. Let me tell you a great place to start with Eugene Peterson. And he's got a pretty good understanding of how to, how to understand the Bible. He, he translated it. A little, little something you might have heard called The Message. Well, this is, this is something he wrote in a, in a brilliant book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. This is what discipleship is. It's just a long obedience walking in the same direction. This is what he says. Feelings are great liars. If Christians worshipped only when they felt like it, there would be precious little worship. Feelings are important in many areas, but completely unreliable in matters of faith. 
Listen to that statement. Feelings are important in many areas of our life, but they are completely unreliable in matters of faith. When you feel like God is mad at you, Feelings are unreliable in matters of faith. When you feel like God isn't here, we're praising and we're worshiping or whatever, you go, man, I just don't feel God tonight. Feelings are are important, but they are completely unreliable in matters of faith. When you feel like God's mad at you, like he's just frustrated at you, or he's written you off, feelings are are completely unreliable in matters of faith. Your feelings have very little to do with a proper estimation of who God is. Here's what you can trust about God, that he is love. And anything that doesn't sound like Jesus hanging on a cross and loving you to the end is not God. Anything that feels like God is shaming you or guilting you or mad at you or angry with you or he is putting some type of pressure on you, that is not Jesus hanging on a cross. That's feelings. And Eugene Peterson taught me that. So you need mentors. You need a mentor who will teach you um, how to live life and become the person that you want to be. And you need to absorb as much time as you can possibly spend with that person. You can read them. You can listen to them. You can, I've watched dozens of videos with Eugene Peterson. I've read dozens of books with Eugene Peterson and Brendan Manning. They are my heroes. So my question to you is, who's your hero? Who are your heroes? Who is the man or the woman that you long to be like? And why are you not hanging out with them every minute that you can? Find somebody that you admire deeply because of the person of faith that they are and just get around them because there's something about being around people that you become like them. That's why your groups, your friend groups, all look and sound the same. You say the same things, you you talk about the same things, you look at the same things, you watch the same things, you listen to the same music. There's no anomalies in your friend groups because you rub off on each other. Some of you need to get outside of that homogenous friend group and get around a mentor that's going to shape you into becoming the young man and the young woman of God that God has dreamed for you to become. Who's the mentor? Who are you going to get around? Who are you being discipled by? You're being discipled all day long. Who are you being discipled by? And lastly is this. Fall in love with Jesus and his body and give them space to work. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with his body, his church. By the way, his church isn't a building. His church is people. And his body is jacked up. They're messed up. They're, they're mean sometimes, they're evil, they're gossipy, they're, and yet they still, God has entrusted his body to show the world who he is and to bring redemption. Fall in love with Jesus and his body and give them space to work. It took me 20 years. I'm 42, it took me 20 years to figure out what I'd been doing for the last 20 years. It takes work. And it takes space. Write this down. I love this statement. Give God space and he'll fill it. F-I-L-L. Give God space and he'll fill it. He fills the space that you give him. Listen to what I'm about to say because I believe in it deeply. It is a passion of my life. 
I believe the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and without it, we have no hope in this world. It is God's redemptive plan for the universe. It is his only plan. He has no plan B. It's the church or bust. And so he has endowed, he has endued the church with his spirit, his Holy Spirit. The spirit of God is everything that God is in a intangible form. So Jesus is everything that God is in a tangible form. Like we can talk to Jesus if he were here. The spirit is everything that God is, but we can't hold him or touch him because he lives on the inside of us and he lives in his church. And so spend every minute you can with the body of Christ. That's who shapes you. Spend every minute you can. You guys spend way too much time. We have a disproportionate amount of time with Netflix and school and, and sports and uh, a band and extracurricular activities and, and, and just video games, just doing stuff compared to how much time we spend with the body of Christ and with Jesus. Everything you do is shaping you to become who you are. You play Fortnite for eight hours a day and Fortnite is going to shape your soul. I don't know what it's going to look like. It's going to be weird. It's going to be like a it's going to be like a like a like an eight year old foul mouthed boy is what it's going to be. That's what your soul's going to become. It's going to be some eight year old cursor. That's Fortnite shaping your soul. Spend eight hours a day working out and getting in, in, in shape for football, and it will shape your soul. What will it look like? What does it look like to give sports all of your time and allow it to shape you? Who do you become? Who do you become? But what happens if you give the body of Christ the opportunity to shape your soul? Then you become like Jesus. You want to be prepared? Notice what culture, how culture is shaping you and how Jesus wants you to look and figure out what those differences are and lean towards Jesus. Find someone in your life that you look up to that you admire and never leave their side. Become an absolute rear end that you just can't get. They're just like, oh my God, he just never leaves me alone. Be that guy. Be that stubborn person. I've had so many kids follow me around. I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm going to kill that kid. He just won't leave me alone. And it it took me 20 years to figure out, oh, they just wanted to be around me a little bit because they liked me. Okay, that's different now. Now I'm filling my black hole of words of affirmation here. (laughs) I'm in the the toughest season of my entire life. 42 years old, and it doesn't get harder than this moment in my life today. This is as hard as it gets. Tomorrow's going to suck for me. It doesn't get harder, but I want you to understand this. I've spent my life around the body of Christ and I've allowed mentors and the body to shape my soul. And I've allowed Jesus, I've spent, guys, I've spent hours upon hours journaling and reading scripture and walking outside and waking up in the middle of the night and just sitting and saying, Jesus, talk to me. And I, most of the time I heard nothing. I just sat there. But I came with the confidence that if I can't hear anything, I bet he's still there anyway. In fact, let me just tell you something. If you don't know what God is, if God does deep work in our life. 
He wants to do deep work. So if you ask Jesus, what are you doing in my life, and you, he doesn't tell you, it's quite possible that he's doing something that you wouldn't understand. If he tells you everything that he's doing, then he's only doing things that you understand. I want him to do deep work. I want him to do stuff that I don't understand what he's doing. So what's going to happen is you're going to sit down. I've, I've sat down for, I'm telling you, for hours upon hours upon hours. I've been, if you ever go into this back room right here, you can see where I've prayed and written stuff all over the walls and just told myself, this is what I'm going to pray. And this is, I've spent hours in that room. I've spent hours in this room praying for you. I've spent hours praying for me. I've read the, I've spent hours upon hours. I've spent cumulatively days reading scripture and not even understanding half of what I was reading. But I gave Jesus space to work. I've spent days of my life where I would just go on a retreat and just be quiet for a few days. Just by myself. I, I, I never will forget going on a, it was, it was, I was leaving from Bible school one day and I decided I was going to go camping for a couple days in a tent, just me in a tent and my Bible. And I thought it was going to be so spiritual. I was like, oh my God, Holy Spirit's going to show up. It's going to be like the Holy of Holies. I'm going to build like a tabernacle and, and, and it's going to be, you know, I think people are going to see like in the middle of the night, people are going to be coming to me. There's going to be a glow coming from my tent. I'm going to come out to talk to people and I'm going to have to put a, like a cloth over my face because I'm blinding people by the glory of God. Just, to, just literally, just bl- and I get there, and I, and, I, and I remember setting up shop. I put my tent up, and I was going to fast the whole time too, which, by the way, fasting sucks. If anybody's wondering about fasting, I hate fasting. That means you don't eat. What? So I was going to fast for 48 hours. That's a long time to not eat. So I was going to fast for 48 hours. I get there, and I start reading the Bible. I sit down. I set up my tent. Done. And then I just start reading my Bible. I read the Bible for what feels like a millennia. I'm like, oh, my God, I've been reading for so long. I look down, and I go, it's been like an hour. And I go, oh, my God, I'm going to do this for 48 hours? So I go take a nap in my tent. I wake up. It's still daylight. I'm thinking, this is going to be miserable. And so I, I just, it was, the, it, was the, it was so hard. It's like, what am I doing? Why did I do this? God. I'm over here trying to give you, and you won't even show up and talk to me or tell me anything. What are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm sacrificing my life. I'm not even eating. I'm not eating. The least you can do is talk to me. I never heard anything. But 20 years later, I go, oh, oh, that's what I was doing. I was giving God space. And now the man that I've become has a little bit to do with those moments. And those other moments where I journaled, I've journaled dozens. I've written, prayed, read, walked, sang. I've sat at a piano for hours upon hours and just made up songs. They were all terrible. Give God space and he feels it. And it shapes you into becoming who you're going to be. I'm telling you right now, you're being prepared for something. Who are, you giving, who are you giving the power to prepare you? Who are you giving it to? Are you giving it to Snapchat? Snapchat will shape you. It'll shape you. Are you giving it to your phone? Are you giving it to Netflix? Are you giving it to a friend that doesn't even know anything about Jesus? Who are you giving the power to prepare you? Identify the cultural incongruencies. Get a mentor. Never leave their side.
and fall in love with Jesus. And, and I want to be real with you. It doesn't feel very loving most of the time. There's some moments. But remember what I said. In matters of faith, feelings are completely unreliable. Trust me when I tell you this. If you believe anything that I say ever, believe this. Give Jesus some space and he'll fill it. He'll shape you. I want you guys to be married for 80, 90, 100 years and to love life. But it's going to take some work. And you're already started doing the work now. Let's do it the right way. Hey, I want to pray for you tonight. I preached a long time. I preached for, I think, 40 minutes. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. I preached a long time. I got it. I got you. I hope that... Um, hope that you will, um, I hope that it wasn't a big deal to preach a long time. I, I, I usually don't go this late, but here we are. You know, when I first started doing uh, romantic, I mean, um, uh, love, ser- love series sermons, but sometimes I would go an hour and I would just tell them, she's like, hey, I'm going to go an hour tonight. And we just, we just go, <laughs> you're shaking your head, JT. Yes, I would go an hour. But JT loved it so much. She's never left me. You know what? JT, you're hanging by my side and you're not leaving me, are you? I see what's going on here. I'm just kidding. All right. I want to pray for you tonight. I just want to pray one thing and then I'm going to pray for you. Uh, if you'll close your eyes. There's some of you in this room that say, Pastor Jeremy, I, I, don't, I don't follow Jesus. Can I tell you the greatest decision you're ever going to make, the greatest spiritual decision, the most important spiritual decision you're ever going to make in your life because it affects all the other areas of your life is deciding to follow Jesus. If there's anybody in this room that would say, it's time for me to make that decision, will you lift your hand? I want to pray for you tonight. Anybody in here, it's time for me to follow Jesus. I see you back there. Anybody else? I see you. Anybody else? You two can put your hands down. Anybody else? If you'll stand with me, that's it. Um, uh, here's what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask my leaders to come down. And if you got something to talk about or to pray about with them, we're here. I'm going to go to Taco Bell in a little while. And Helena, I'd love to hang out with you. But I'm going to stay here until you're done praying. And then I'm going to go. So we're in no rush. Hey, y'all are talking. Let's don't talk. As I begin to pray, if you got something you want to come pray with your, one of your leaders about, they're up here. That's why they show up and, and invest in your life. So let me pray for you. Jesus, tonight, hey, go ahead and begin to come if you want to pray with one of them. Jesus, tonight, I'm grateful for every teenager in this room. The ones that, um, the ones that are showing up because they have fallen in love with you and with your body and they just want to grow. And the ones that just show up for any other reason, I am so grateful that you've given them to us to me and this group of leaders so that we can talk to them and share with them and shape them and be a part of their formation. Tonight, Jesus, I ask that you show us, even for a moment, some of the places in our life that we've got to turn over to you. We're allowing things to shape us that have no business shaping us. Tonight, will you show each one of us There's a place here. There's a place here. There's a brokenness that you've never given to me. And it's time to let it go. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. We're going to hang around for a few minutes.